Welcome to a new installment of the Chris Williams podcast here on, uh, well, wherever you listen to your podcast. I've been wanting to do this next episode for weeks now because the coronavirus COVID-19 debate, and I don't know about debate, but the, the, the issue wages on, it's impacting all of us. Um, I don't know if I've done a podcast. I did. I did that podcast with my dad since I got it. Um, but I wanted to invite my friend, Dr. Matt Erdman, back to the program. And I'll do that here momentarily. But we have a sponsor now. I'm fired up. The, the Chris Williams podcast now is a sponsor. It's the Mechdyne Corporation up in Marshalltown. It's in Marshalltown, but it's a worldwide company. A couple of Iowa State graduates come together. And, uh, man, the story's fantastic. Uh, sometime I actually want to get Chris... Um, one of the big dogs there back time to be one of my guests on here. It's one of the more fascinating human beings I've ever met. Uh, IT services, I mean, they're um, the, some of the engineering on these software, you know, these products, the virtual reality type stuff that they're doing is, is really quite incredible. And it's all based out of Marshalltown. And the big pitch that I have for them is, um, there is a lot of career opportunity for people who are listening to this podcast right now. Great benefits, all that stuff. You don't have to be in tech, even customer service, that type of stuff. I'm on their webpage right now uh, looking at all the job opportunities. It's mechdyne.com. They are located in Marshalltown, but they have places uh, worldwide, really. Dr. Matt Erdman joins me. So, what's your actual title? Because it's way, you know, give me your real title here. <clears throat> yeah. So, was it episode two we talked? Yeah. All the way back in March, right? <laughs> Which seems like it was like three years ago. Yeah. So, if you want right? to hear me basically tell my entire history, uh, go back and check episode two. But, yeah. So, I'm um, from a farm in Winterset, Iowa, but went to Iowa State. And, um I'm a veterinarian and have a PhD in microbiology. So microbiologist, I microbiology. Dr. I heard you Matt. refer to me as an epidemiologist the other day. <laughs> it's and, all you know, the same. Yeah, we're just all crazy scientists, right? But um, it's all the same. But no, I, I've um, spent you know twenty some years in infectious disease, both in diagnostics and, and vaccine. So this really strikes home. And and while I got the floor here, shout out to Mechdyne. I you know I heard you and Brent mention them the other day. Yeah, and so I started perusing their website and looking into their portfolio and see they have some stuff in the in the medical field and things that I found cool. So they seemed like a pretty interesting uh, group of folks up there. Yeah, that their portfolio is amazing. I, I've taken a couple of tours up there in Marshalltown and it's just mind blowing like that because you, you go up there and you're on like the town square in Marshalltown, this old building. Yeah. And then you walk through it and you see some of the stuff that's going on in there. And it's just, it's wild. Yeah. I, yeah. I consider myself, you know, somewhat of a technology geek as oh, well. And so you'd you, love what they're doing. I was reading on their website about all their visual stuff, you know, they have going yeah. on. It's cool. cool the, stuff. the virtual reality stuff is what, what really gets me going. But yeah, no, I appreciate you um, giving them a shout out. Um, okay. We talked in March and we discussed like every, everything that you know we thought might happen based off of your knowledge and my reading of headlines actually i read the actual articles i don't want to leave it at that did you think that in any 
scenario on August 7th, we're recording this on Friday night, August 7th, we would be in this situation right now where we're, where it's a real debate if kids should be in school and if we can have football, like, did you, did you foresee this happening? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, first of all, this is sort of, I think a great bookend, right? We talked in March, which was kind of the beginning of things. We couldn't have picked a better time, um, you know, to be talking about and making some predictions and, um, I went back and listened to just a couple of pieces of that today, uh, just to see what we said and see if we were How too, wrong. Were we? I don't think we were wrong at all. Um, at least not me. Maybe maybe you. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, I think you know we didn't know a lot then, and we certainly know more now. But um, you know, I, I think I would certainly stand uh, sort of in the same position as, as I was then. I mean, I think the virus is um, it's serious. You know, it was worth taking serious from the beginning. Um, I don't think that. Um, maybe some of the lower death rates and things that have been observed are reason to say that we overreacted. Um, it, it's been interesting. You know, we talked a little bit about kind of the societal piece of, a, of an epidemic. And I think to get back to the question you just asked, that's been maybe more interesting over the past few months than somewhat the virus itself, how certain things have, um, you know, People pick sides on certain topics, you know, mm-hmm. that we can walk through. But, um, you know, I think just to rehash where we stand today, last I looked, we were around 20 million cases globally uh, of coronavirus to uh, 700,000 deaths. Um, and so the mortality or the case fatality rate um, globally and in the U.S. is around 3%. Um, and, the, and the mortality rate is around 50 uh, per 100,000 people in the U.S. Um, and I think that that case fatality rate of 3% is maybe lower than what we were hearing in March, where mm-hmm. we were hearing some really uh, big numbers. But I think, you know, um, we've learned a lot more and there's certainly a lot of variables. So, so you know, I don't, I don't know if I would predict that we would be right where we are today, but, but I think, you know, it's, it's not surprising. It is a pandemic and we're, we're certainly living in a, in a different world right now. I, um, yeah, one of the fascinating parts to me that I don't think when, when we first recorded in March, I, I don't think it was happening then, but it certainly is now is remember all the, oh, we're all in this together. We're all unified. It certainly doesn't feel like that now. Like I, you can wear a mask into a grocery store and like people will automatically make a judgment on you if you have a mask on or if you don't like, Oh, you're a Trumper. If you don't, you're right. You're like, it's, it's, it's become like, so I get what I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Do you think in the scientific, like medical aspect of all this, where like you're kind of in your bubble looking out, right? Mm-hmm. If this wasn't an election year, do you think that we'd be like a society functioning differently with this? Um, because it just seems so polarized. So certainly, politics has played a role, and certainly, people um, have established some of their viewpoints potentially on other like-minded individuals uh, in their in their political parties and so forth. But, you know, I don't know. Um, If you look back through history, pandemics have always been um, low-hanging fruit for 
conspiracy theories. We'll get um, to those. Okay. Uh, <laughs> polarizing do, view. Do you think Bill Gates is behind this? I'm kidding. I, I do not. Um, <laughs> but I guess my point is, is that pandemics are, you know, they're not super common. And a lot of people maybe don't understand them. And so people get polarized. I think there's another thing. Have you ever heard compassion fatigue as a term? Um, I Ash- haven't. But Ashley's I... maybe mentioned it. it. It's a term. Oh, yeah. It's a like term. Veterinarians you know, go through that with. Sure. And any medical professional, and, yeah. nurses, doctors, um, people who work in care facilities. Compassion fatigue is something where, you know, if I oversimplify it, um, you can only care for so long sometimes and you become burnt out on caring. It's like the old country song, my give a damn's busted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> Joe some, D Messina, shout and out. Sometimes I think we're seeing some of that, right. You know, in March when we talked and we were gearing up for quarantine maybe. And when you say, when you refer to people all being on the same page, yeah, we were right. All we, the commercials. We were, we were rallying yeah. together. Yeah. Um, as time has gone on, some people, you know, maybe haven't been directly impacted. So, frankly, they're like, eh, this was overblown and, and maybe I don't care. Um, but, you know, I think that those things are all impacted by your perspective. And whether that is a political perspective or a financial perspective, you know, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, um, your viewpoint on opening businesses yeah. is probably more impacted by your personal financial situation. Yeah. Like if you're a bar owner, yeah. it, you, you know, you want things back to normal. Yeah, I have I mean, a lot of friends who are in that boat. Right. Right. So, so I guess, you know, to get back to your question, you know, about the, the, the year of an election and so forth, certainly I think that plays into it, but it's multifactorial, right? There's a lot of societal yeah. stuff going on. Part of the problem um, that I that I see, and the only reason I'm sensitive to this is because I'm married to a scientist. Sure. And I'm friends with a lot of scientists like, like you. And I see a lot of people, if it's on their Facebook pages or whatever, and they're very critical of the scientists because, you know, from March until now, recommendations have changed. Right. And... I mean, it, it's it's as simple as the virus has changed and we've learned more, right? Or because you talked about the conspiracy theory. I think a lot of people are, oh, well, we need to keep this going until after November and we need to keep changing things. But like, right. explain to people again what it's a novel virus. So we're we're learning by the hour. Yeah, right. I, I think, you know, so you're right. And we can you're right. Let's let's circle back to conspiracy theories later. It's probably a whole nother Heck, we could probably do a whole podcast on conspiracy theories. Should start our own new feed. We could. Um, Denver Airport, episode one. Yeah, that will definitely be on the opposite pages <laughs> when it comes to that type of stuff. That'll be a fun. Um, no, I think you make a really good point, and, I, and I've seen some of it as well. And I think, you know, what non-scientists might be observing going on is sort of the scientific process in real time. You know, and I think, you know, there's a lot of visibility to this pandemic. It's in the headlines, you know, 24 seven, that's not necessarily how science usually works, right? Usually the general public probably sees the outcome of science as opposed to the process from, from start to beginning. But, you know, the scientific process, it, you know, just to briefly summarize it, you know, you, you kind of formulate hypotheses, 
you make predictions, you, um, you do experiments or, or data collection. And then based on all of this, you know, the original starting point is either rejected or modified and you strengthen the ideas and, and the recommendations and the conclusions based on the stronger data. But if you're not used to seeing that process kind of unfold, you probably then could say, well, you know, what you said a little bit ago wasn't right. Therefore, the entire process is flawed. And that's simply not how it works. You know, you're basically then saying anything less than perfect gets labeled as backtracking or, or just pure incompetence or something. And frankly, that's just not how science works. So, so Fauci, so, to me, Dr. Fauci's been at the heart of that. Like he, you know, he's become a political figure. Yes. And I, I don't believe he's tried to be. Yep. But like, I, I see that all the time though, um, where people will pull a quote from him from like February and try and make him look like an idiot. Right. Which is, is not fair. It's not. And, you know, Fauci has become sort of that front and center piece that people associate with the wealth of science going on across the globe. Right. Yeah. All it's sort of trying to be filtered through this one person and that's not really an achievable task, but, um, but again, you know, if, if Fauci made some statement in, you know, January, February, and then you take that statement and you compare it to what he says now in August and you find some type of difference or deviation, and then you conclude, well, he's an idiot, he's an idiot, (laughs) you know, clearly, you know, got him, you know, type deal that that's just not, you know, a great way to look at things. And I don't think that's probably a great, I mean, we, we talked in our last podcast about the ability, the ability to do critical thinking and adjust your stance and adjust your opinion. Yeah. Scientists, you know, that's a, that's a positive thing for scientists. They're able to adapt and not get so hung up on their original opinion that they defend it at all costs and and block everything else out. So it's it's the opposite of a sports talk radio. It is, you know, it's not this strong take. (laughs) Don't ever back down. (laughs) So what about though, there was the time like a couple weeks ago or whenever it was where they like, there was like a big headline and the stock market went up. Um, that if you're asymptomatic, you can't spread it. Or it was something like that from the World right. Health Organization. Right. And then like a day later, they're like, well, we may have jumped the gun there. Sure. What's going on there? Like, how does that happen? I, I think that, so I remember that. And the reason I remember it is because I think I heard you mention it on KXNO. Yeah, we're fired up. We're like, well, we can have football. Yeah, I think I hear you mention on KXNO. I'm like, what the hell is Chris talking about? You know, like maybe I should text him and tell him to hold up a second. But you I know, was right. That's what the report said. Well, it, you, you, that's what the headline said. And okay. so when you said that, I actually did a deep dive that night and I went and found um, the actual underlying report that, that those stories were based on. And and frankly, the reports themselves that were kind of the genesis of that statement pointed out all the pitfalls of that study and that data. You know, they, they talked about all the reasons why those conclusions may not be valid. But what happened is in the spur of the moment, a WHO official on a stage somewhere gets asked a question, gives an answer that's probably not detailed enough or nuanced enough. And that 
that answer to that question becomes a headline. And that headline comes hundred other headlines go, goes viral, yeah. devoid of actual data and nuances underneath it. You know, there was no pointing out the differences between symptomatic or you know asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic and and some of this other stuff. So, you know, hmm. I, and we've talked a little bit about. So now you're blaming the media. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> is there anything that's not blamed on the media these no. days? Um, well, and you all wonder why we're so sensitive. I know, yeah, it, but you know, it's real, right? And yes. you know, I mean, look, I'll, I'll ask you the question: Is there, is there a more socially influential job or person right now than people that write headlines? I mean, think about how you consume. You know, if you're scrolling through Twitter and you see somebody retweet yeah. a story. Nine times out of 10, you probably don't actually go click on the story. You know, you, you see the headline. Um, Which is m- massively frustrating as a journalist. So am yeah. I right? I mean, is there. Yeah, no. I mean, How influential? Is it a separate job? Is that, is that true that some people who write the headlines are different than yeah. maybe who wrote the story? Oh, Why? yeah. Why? Why is that? Um, I think so. Obviously, what we do is different than like at a. But I, but I know like the Des Moines Register writers, so right? Like when they'll, they'll offer headlines, but like the editors and stuff don't have to take them. And um, so like one of the real problems I see, and I, I don't know. So this is going to be different at the New York Times compared to, sure. like, you know, that's a publicly traded company that's stock is soaring, right? Like you're basically in America, you have the New York Times, you have the Washington Post, kind of the wall street journal they're they're hanging on you know they're doing just fine and then everybody else is kind of just swimming at this point because we have because for some reason our industry decided to let a bunch of hedge fund managers come in and buy up all the newspapers and that's a whole other podcast sure that's like the conspiracy theory one um you have a lot of new grads who are running social media accounts and stuff like that now so it becomes about the clicks? Yes. More so than maybe so. a completely well, factual of, description of the article? This is the problem in journalism, though. And this is why I always tell people to subscribe. Because the the more subscribers that a publication has, the less pressure it has to get those clicks. And, I mean, it's not charity. Yeah. I I would go on... I'll go on the rec- I've I don't know how it works. You don't want to be state run. Right. But I do think that there needs to be some assistance to keep journalism legitimate in our country. Because right now we're not trending in a good direction. Like how do you how are you gonna you know, how are you a weekly um what did Winterset have? Did you guys have a newspaper? Winterset Madisonian. Is it still open? I believe so. Okay. Um you know how hard it would be to keep that thing going right now? But like don't we need people to keep the winter set school board in check? Yeah. To make sure nobody's, you know, going rogue there and the city council and all. Absolutely. All, we need this. And um, kind of what you're saying now, like I, of course I'm going to come to the defense of media yeah. because I'm biased in that sense. But like, how do we, um, of course they want clicks. Yeah. But I also can't fault them because this is a, um, it's a for-profit deal. Right. You know, they're trying to make a living to, you know, they're trying to create revenue to pay their employees. Right. 
That, so, I, yeah, I, I a mean, lot of this criticism of the media is from the same people who refuse to subscribe to anything. And but yeah, you're right. Like they're trying to get clicks. Yep. This COVID thing, anything positive, really, at this point. It, so, and then we'll get into the sports thing because I think it's a little bit different. Like the negative stuff is really taken over. But like me, when I'm when I'm checking my phone first thing in the morning, if I hear if I read like new vaccine. 95% accuracy. Like I'm clicking on that. I, I, I totally get it. So that's where that came from. And so, and all the reasons you just gave are spot on, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this before. I've made the same argument to people that I work with that criticize CNN and, and Fox news. And, you know, those two are kind of seen as polarizing, but my response has been, you know, there are, there are for profit companies, mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there has to be a little bit of personal responsibility in in both, you know, if you're going to criticize the story or the criticize the link, you know, are you going to take the time to read it? Are you going to take the time to check other sources to counter check and things? Um, So I agree, you know, I'll give you an, but from a scientist standpoint, you know, sometimes it's it's a little frustrating because we can kind of connect the dots of mm-hmm. we see the underlying science we we kind of maybe grasp it and understand the pitfalls we see the headline that comes out of that work and then we see how that headline turns into memes and, and things on social media and and we just drift further and further away and and I think you know, I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, hydroxychloroquine. Oh my God! So, yes, this so is a great, great th- point th- to bring up. Th- this is a this is fascinating, right? This hydroxychloroquine, you know, as we go forward here, is probably going to be sociology type studies about how this has happened more so than the actual drug itself, because the the way that this has become this polarizing issue amongst probably people that have no damn idea whether it works or not, but probably, but they're, but they're parroting whatever maybe their, their chosen political side says, um, you know, I, I will take the stance right now that the data so far does not show that hydroxychloroquine is of benefit when it comes to COVID-19 so far, that's what the data shows. But, um, a few weeks ago, there was a study that came out that was published. And then after it was published, it also hit the mainstream media that actually did show um, some positive benefits of hydroxychloroquine. And that one study immediately got a lot of media play, especially by the side of this debate that mm-hmm. has said that it's beneficial, right? And so... One of my coworkers, um, Paul, who he and I talk some about this stuff, you know, he he actually pointed out to me, he's like, you sh- you should go read that article, the actual scientific article, not not the media, not and the Fox News, not the not the <laughs> you know whatever or CNN. We'll balance. E- either we're one. fair and balanced here yeah, on the Chris Williams right, spot, right? I don't I don't necessarily watch either one of them. So <laughs> so I I did. So I went and found the the article, and it was I think um, from a hospital. Um, people can go figure out what I'm talking about, but. I read the study and I'm like, this study is, is no good. Right. I, I mean, I'm not an expert in coronavirus. I'm not an expert in hydroxychloroquine, 
but I can read the study. It was a observational study that was looking back through time. It didn't have controlled, you know, randomly groups. It wasn't randomized. It, there was all sorts of differences between those that got the drug and those that didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and like this, like the shape the person's in and stuff yeah, like the that. shape yeah. the person was in influence where they got it. Um, if you got hydroxychloroquine, you are also more likely to get dexamethasone, which is another drug that may have. A, and so there's all these factors that as a scientist, you look at it and you're like, okay, you know, it's fine that you publish this and this contributes to the literature, but by no means does this prove anything. And then that became a news story though. But then, so what you're saying is then a guy like me, now I didn't do this, but somebody else in my situation could have, could take the one thing that they read on, let's say CNBC, which is a 400 word recap of a bad study that you're referring to. And I, and you can go on the air and influence. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people. Absolutely. You know, and I know that you mentioned the New York Times, you know, I know that they have a specific science, they have specific science writers, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And those are actually scientists, you know, maybe they have a PhD who are also Iowa journalists. State, Iowa State used to have in the journalism department, I don't know if they still do, but you could emphasize in science writing. Yeah. And, and I it's think- It's like a real thing that people will go to school eight years to do. And it makes sense that it, that it would be, you know- mm-hmm. Chris, I love you and, and you're a great journalist. If I said, hey, Chris, come with me to work and write an article about what I tell you, that's going to be a real challenge for you. Yeah. And, and you're a smart guy. It's like telling me to cover a soccer game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just as complex as soccer, you're right. You know, but, but, it, but you know no, what I'm like, saying, right? Totally get it, man. You know, yeah. and so, and I. Because what you do is not like, um, it's, it's hard to, like, anybody can be a sports writer, really, if you have an opinion. Like, you can be a commentator. Like, there's a lot of guys who watch a football game, and they've watched a million football games, and they have interesting things to say. I Like, we don't have we don't have cameras to watch you do your labs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's a very... Right. And But then we have all of these blowhards who are so matter-of-fact that I don't know. It just seems like the really smart people are the people who are silent right now. I feel like the louder you are, the dumber you are at this point. Uh, <laughs> that, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I I sometimes... Like, do you get on Facebook? Um, once a week, you know? Yeah, I need uh, to limit mine, but I have to for work. But... I get on Twitter much more frequently, daily, yeah. um, probably because, you know, I, I with Twitter... You know, I'm probably as guilty as anyone as creating my own bubble when it comes to Twitter. And I, I follow the things that I want to hear about. And in Facebook, you know, maybe I said this in the last podcast, I don't remember. Facebook used to be about um, everything positive that was going on in people's lives, right? People got married, people had kids, people got jobs. Now I get on Facebook and it's some political stance about something and, and, uh, you know, it just becomes a little overwhelming. Um, yeah. I, I will say one more thing about the moving goalposts of the science. You know, I, I think I've, I've heard you and, and some others, you know, use that term of moving the goalposts when it, when it came to kind of where we started with social distancing in regards yeah. to flatten the curve and maybe where we are now. And, and I think um, that's a little, f- that's a little fair. Um, yeah, I, because it seemed like everything I, was just, um, 
I think you even described it to me like if we can spread out, everybody's going to get it over 12 months right. as opposed to at the same time, it helps the hospitals. But now I feel like the left especially is like, oh, we have to defeat the virus. There can't be any cases before our kids go back to school. And that like to me, I don't know, it just doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, I mean, we're we're beyond the point of like, you know, eradicating the virus. You know, I mean, the virus is We kind of missed our we're, chance, we're, we're right? Gonna, we um, I mean, Italy, look at what Italy did. Like South Korea, Japan, like they wear their mask and they're, they're not arrogant and they're not selfish. And look what happened. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I, I mean, it's Sturgis. There's 250,000 people like, just, I know we, just drinking together. Like we were just at Black Hills, um, <laughs> last week, which, you know, little side story. Uh, it was great to get up there. We, we stayed in the cabin and, um, we didn't have any Wi-Fi. Oh, and the yeah. cellular was you. like super spotty. No wonder you're so relaxed. Oh, I, dude, I was off the grid for a week. And I don't think you realize until you're in that situation, just how hooked we are to our phones and stuff. And at the first couple of days, you know, I was probably a little bit anxious, you know, what am I missing? But then after a couple of days, it's like, this is great. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I did see a lot more masks in South Dakota than I thought I would. That is not the case at the Lake of the Ozarks. Really? Yeah. Total opposite. I don't know if it's because, you know, it was tourists driving in from other places. I, I I would not go as far as saying that I saw a lot of the Sturgis crowd um, yeah. wearing masks. But but anyway, I think, you know, going back to this goalpost thing, I think, so I understand your position and why that looks that way. You know, public health is about saving lives, giving advice, healthy advice. Uh, and you have to realize that during the course of pandemic, there are stages. And and the very first stage when we were talking in March was flatten the curve. And I think for the most part, we did that, right? I mean, I think that the social distancing, the, the sort of limited quarantine that we had. The shutdown. The right? shutdown. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, that was successful. Now, that's a hard thing because you don't really have like well, this state shut down and this didn't, and you know, you can't, it's hard to make all those comparisons, but in my opinion, it was successful. And there are studies that have been published that, that back that up. And then Memorial Day hit. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> well, but I guess my point is in, in regard to, again, moving the goalpost, it, when the flatten the curve thing seemed to be successful, you know, in, in June, let's say, you know, the public health effort didn't stop, you know, the, the guidance about the distancing and the mass that you've seen more emphasis on has continued to go. And again, we're still in that interim period where we don't yet have a vaccine. We don't yet have a therapeutic. So, so I guess the whole move the goalpost thing, I would be a little cautious of. It probably feels that way, but I think in reality, we're just in kind of a different stage of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I certainly thought like when, and I don't know, I, I do think that we kind of, and I'm not criticizing this, it, it's good, I want to have this conversation too, but I think we kind of as a country maybe took our eye off the ball when the Black Lives Matter thing really started. Remember, because then it wasn't in the headlines, like the COVID just disappeared for like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. People were making jokes about that, but like you, yeah. I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah. You know, like it, in that's good. And I'm glad we're having those conversations too. Yeah. Anybody who's listened to me for a lengthy period of time knows that, but I don't know. Like now I feel like, I don't know. We better get a damn vaccine. Like, it, cause I, I just don't, it, it normal seems really far away to me, especially when we're staring down the barrel of potentially like no football season. Right. Um, 
you know, my daughter's getting ready to start kindergarten. She can only go two days a week. Yeah. Nothing seems normal right now. So, yeah. So I guess, so let's, let's talk reopening. Let's talk reopening. So, yeah. um, so just the fact of reopening was a hot button issue, right? You know, I think, as you alluded to earlier, there were people who thought we should never go outside again and, and others who are like, Oh, to hell with it. We can do whatever we want. And, and then the, those people are at each other's throats demeaning each other. And that's the part that I hate about all this. Right. And I, and that's, I want to make the same point. I think I have the same opinion. I think, you know, it, it makes sense that we reopened, you know, um, let's face it. Life is a compromise, right? It's often a compromise. And, um, you should tell that to my wife. I will. Let's go upstairs right now. <laughs> She's going to hear this. Um, She's a big Matt Urban fan. I'm so. a big Ashley Williams fan. So. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, you, Ashley. You, you know, um, it, life is a compromise. And the compromise that we're looking at right now is kind of the balance between public health and oftentimes people's livelihood. And, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, that we necessarily have to go from zero to 100 overnight. And I don't really think that we've done that. You know, I think um, because, you know, the perfect time to reopen doesn't exist. You may have a perfect time in your mind. I may have one in my mind. But overall, there's no perfect time where everyone's just going to be like, yep, we, we should open right now. So you have to reopen. And we've done that. Um, the The cases have started to come back up. I think we sort of bottomed out in June. And I'm talking about, when I say cases, you know, let me clarify. I'm talking about the positivity rate. So not just... You're the, not saying like the little poll that CNN has up on that. No, I don't, I don't even know what... what I. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me they have a poll, but I haven't seen it. Like, um, the like, every time there's like a new one reported, it'll like flip up to a new one. No, I, so I'm more talking about... so. When I look at numbers, it's either the CDC website or John Hopkins. Um, John Hop- Hopkins has a really good tracker. Yeah, he's good. Um, yeah, John is great. He's a <laughs> hell of a tracker. Um, but so when I so when I say numbers, I'm not just talking about the pure quantified number of positive cases. I'm talking about um, the positivity rate, how many people were tested, and what percent were positive. And um, I don't think there's any doubt that right now the virus is spreading. Um, you can say, well, there's only more cases because we're doing more testing. And there's some truth to that. But the number of the percentage of cases that are being or the percentage of people that are being tested, that number is, is drifting back up since about June. And and that's what you would expect. You would expect a virus to spread. That's like what I, viruses do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and going back to your comment, did we miss a chance to eradicate it? Um uh, yes and no, but why I, were some countries able to? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's eradicated. Okay, eradicated might be strong, but it's certainly under control. It's not here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, you know, you get into how do you compare one country to another? Yeah, I think a lot of it just has to do with how we as Americans are free to live compared to you know in other countries the amount of things that can infect, that can impact a pandemic you know the the cultural practices of the people um the the temperature that your country is at you know where you're at on the globe can impact spread of viruses you know 
your, your water quality. Like there's just so many variables that can go on, you know, is it because we're obese? Is that why we're having problems? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to say (laughs) us are the healthiest people. Right. I mean, um, but, um, you know, were we quick to adopt masks or were we half the country still has it? Right. You know, and, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that wearing these cloth masks around is a, a magic bullet. I wore mine and I still got it. But I will tell you that I know, well, I shouldn't say I know, I'm not involved in this area, but I would bet a large amount of money that wearing masks has prevented a lot of people from being infected. Mm-hmm. Can I, uh, so like you were talking about the percentages, you know? Yep. I feel like this is common sense, but maybe maybe I'm off somewhere too, like because the death rate gets thrown around, especially by the, the there's a specific side that will throw the mortality rate sure. constantly, but, and how it's dropped. Yep. Isn't a lot of that, not necessarily the virus itself, but just the fact that we're smarter now. Like if you're a severe diabetic or if you have heart disease, you're probably not going to walk around Walmart without a mask and not wash your hands. We're in March. Like we didn't know. I think so. Okay. That, uh, because that like, yeah. cause I, I, I take all the data and it's all relevant, but I also think that, I know a lot of people who have pre-existing conditions and stuff, and they're not doing anything. Yeah. Where in March, right, they didn't know any better. Right. I, I would agree with that. People, you know, and and this is what should happen, right? If you're, if you are in a higher risk situation, you should be making those tough choices um, to quarantine to, to avoid other people. Um, I, I also would think that our hospitals have become a little bit more adept at, at handling these cases. Um, you know, probably therapeutics. Not, are we there yet? I, we're not really there yet, okay. but just kind of the palliative treatment of people that, that come in and, and the protocols probably for what they do. And again, I don't know, I'm not, you know, involved in, in the direct medical world of treating those folks, but um, it's reasonable to think that now that some of those doctors and some of those hospitals um, have some experience under their belt that just like with anything else in life, right. You get a little bit more efficient and, and, uh, and get things tidied up. So I think there's lots of factors that could do that. Um, but, you know, going back to the reopening, you know, the hot topic now with schools, you know, that's a, that's a really tough spot, you know, I mean, there's no perfect answer to that. And again, just like anything else, your perspective on schools is, is probably going to be based on your, your personal situation. You know, do you have a... Are you Democrat or Republican? Uh, well... Sorry. I'm very jaded. I I, I mean, this yeah. This mask sh- thing is one Sure, that's out. part of it. But, you know, is your kid immunocompromised? You know, yeah. are you yourself an at-risk individual? Are you an elderly teacher yeah. that has to go into that environment? I mean, everyone's... Do you have a kid at home in chemo? Yeah, like, everyone's risk tolerance is going to be a little different. What and, about a te- fourth grade teacher who needs the paycheck, who right. has a daughter who's up at Mayo? Right, and that's like, where you get back to now, all of a sudden, okay, well, I financially, I can't not be back working. Or, you know, there's the parents that, look, I need my kid in school because I need to be working. I, I can't sit at home with them. Um some kids won't have the virtual access on the internet that other people, there are a myriad of reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I shout out to the people out there, my friend, you know, Justin and others 
um, school administrators and teachers oh, that man. are uh, trying to Good. navigate this. Going through hell right now. Oh, man. I, yeah. you know, what a, what school a rough boards, spot. teachers, think, yeah, that's a, I, I don't envy you guys right now. I appreciate it, though. What a, okay. And then you talk about football. You mentioned football. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, football is kind of another form of reopening, right? Yes. Okay, so let me give you my take on this, and sure. I want you to respond to it. Like, okay, football, like we can talk about football in its own right. You and me are both college football guys. Yes. I think the NFL play. Like, they're professionals. They they can do all their different things to protect themselves, whatever. I don't, I'm not worried about them. Um, college is different because of the amateurism aspect of it and campuses. So to me as an outsider and, um, when we were having a beer before this, you pointed out to me and you're hundred percent right. I want college football. I need it to, for my business. Yep. Um, so I have that bias that I have to acknowledge, but, um, I would also point out though, Matt, like, isn't it more dangerous to pack 20, 30,000 co-eds onto a campus than it is to let those 100 guys who are, they're not in a technical bubble like the NBA is, but they're damn close. Like I know how this is going and they're as close as you can be. Um, I don't know. Like to me, packing Friley Hall up at Iowa state is vastly I wouldn't say more dangerous than these guys trying to play a football season, but like, I don't know how you can say that's okay, but oh, we, we can't let those guys compete. Yeah, I think I agree. And, um, you know, I, I think there's two aspects to this and, you know, people are going to hear me on this podcast enough to think that I, walk the line on everything, but you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a black and white person. Things are gray a lot of the times and, and you have to be able to see things from different angles. And this is a good example of that. I, I think what you just described, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint about the risk of those two scenarios, I think I would agree with you. Those football players that are being isolated and tested and everything else are, are probably safer than you know, the freshman that's in Friley or who's going to the fraternity party and stuff. But the other side of this, you know, that, you know, and I have friends that probably aren't as big as sports fans. The other side of this is kind of the perspective of it's football, right? And, and, you know, the kids that are in Friley are there to get an education. You're talking about guys playing a game. And you and I and everyone, you know, football has all sorts of positives for the university, for the athletes, for the coaches, uh, economically and everything. But I'm just telling you that that is a angle at this, right? You're talking about a game, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I, you know, heard you and Brent talk about some of this and, and saw, I've kept up on Jamie and Jamie's done a really good job of, of really being transparent. Some of those financial numbers don't, click with people who aren't as hardcore fans as probably the people that listen to the cyclone fanatic podcast. Right. No, I get it. They're like, these guys can't take a year off from playing football without going broke when they're making millions of dollars, you know? So, so my point is, I think you're absolutely right on if you were to break down the science and the risk of the virus to the person in the dorm versus the football player, I think you're right. I think you're battling a little bit of the other side of this, which is it's a sport. So, yeah, I agree. 
But I, so this is how I would come back to the academia mind that would challenge me on that. Um, cause nothing you said is incorrect. Um, but okay. Um, like in, in high school, what is the job of high school? Like basically it's to prepare you for the next level. Yeah. If that's, you know, if you're going to go work at a factory, you need to be prepared for that. If you're going to go to college, they're going to try and have you prepared to that. So you can get to the college you want. Right. Sure, yeah. Um, let's be honest and call a spade a spade. Most of the guys at a big 12 football program are not going to college. Um, they're, they're trying to get to the NFL. Right. Right. Um, the educational aspect of that is always going to be there for them. Um, it's written in ink. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sympathetic to the, like a guy like uh, just throwing him out there, Jaquan Bailey. Yep. He's a guy who potentially has an NFL future Yep. coming off of an injury. You don't play this year though. He's not going to get drafted. So is he going to come back and be a sixth year senior? That's pretty old to be drafted in the national football league. Right. Now that's just one example. But my point is that there's a lot of, um, you're, you're stripping opportunity from, young men who are trying to get to the next point in their career. And nobody at the academic level would ever admit that, that that's what college football is, but I can, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can call a spade a spade and, and point that out. Um, and, and, but and, you can't put them in danger. Like right. you can't knowingly put them in danger. I understand that aspect of it too. Right. And, and Chris, you know, I'm, I'm playing a little devil's advocate, but I get it, but I'm with you. My and, point and, is what's the difference and, between Jaquan trying to get to the NFL and that kid in Friley trying to become an engineer. It, it's, it's a, it's a perception. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're all hardcore college sports fans in our, in our world. Um, what percentage of the population is, I don't know. Do you know what, what percentage of the population? Less than you would think. Yeah. Less than you would think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons uh, to get my geeky passion, but like that ESPN was able to grow so much over the years because it was logged into all these cable packages. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The most basic one. So like my 90 year old or not my, my, my 90 year old grandma was diehard sports fan, yeah. but like, let's say, um, aunt, aunt June is a horticulturist and she, you know, she has the basic cable package and all she watches is home shopping and CNN. Yep. She's still going to pay for ESPN. You know, for so many years, that was the case. And what we're starting to see now with the, what I call the all cartization of media, we're seeing those subscriber numbers drop, right? Because yep. there's fewer. And, and this is why, God, I'm getting geeky here, but I love it. This is why we're here. But right? when I look forward to, I'm going to pull a little more bullet here. Um, when I look forward to, like the next round of like media negotiations and stuff. I think your merit matters a lot more than it did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it's like, Oh, we want to get Rutgers in the big 10 because we get the New York TV market bull freaking crap. Nobody's watching because of Rutgers, right? You just got the market because of that. Well now, like if you're trying to get subscribers to ESPN plus, who would you rather have Iowa state or Rutgers? Right. You know, because people actually. So you see where I'm. You see what I'm saying with this? I absolutely. I don't do. know how I got into TV rights. Well, but. I mean, hey, this is what we're <laughs> drinking bourbon, right? Yes. I mean, we go wherever we go, right? And we're drifting from my world into yours, <laughs> which is fine. You know, I, I, I may have different perspectives on this as just not in the industry, but more of a fan. You know, I, it's really hard sometimes to hear the discussions about college athletics and primarily college football. 
And uh, okay, is college athletics are they a business? Are they run like a business? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, there's big dollars. There's you know, um, but they're what they're nonprofits. That's the hard they're, part that most people don't get. And I they they don't like in our general business lives. I just started the new business, 712 Media, which owns this property. Right. I'm not getting a paycheck for anything because it's a business and I'm trying to build up capital and, you know, right. do all those things. Uh, Division One Athletic Department can't do that because then they lose their nonprofit. And the, doesn't that seem weird that you can say that in one breath and then go on, you know, back during the missile crisis when you were saying, <laughs> well, that's not going to happen because of that TV market. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Those two things don't go together. Why do you think Maryland and Rutgers are in the Big Ten? You're absolutely right. But the <laughs> fact that you can say those things in succession, that these are nonprofit businesses, oh, yeah, but God dang it, we're <laughs> focusing on these media markets over here. And that's yeah. uh, those things, you know, anyone who's wants to be realistic, who's not just a Homer football fan, can oh, be like, yeah. come on, th- this is. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, realistically, this year, Shouldn't it just be like conferences don't exist and like, all right, Iowa, Iowa State, Nebraska, Northern Iowa. I would love it. Y'all are playing each other. It this would be year. So, how fun would that be if we yeah, played Kansas. Nebraska and Missouri and Minnesota? Yeah, and you're just busing and you're going the day of. It, it'd be, we do COVID tests, the the thirty minute response. If you're if you got COVID, you got to go and sit in the bus. It would it would be I, I would love it. You know, so I you know if. We got a little off track. But, College football um, doesn't make sense, by the way, the way it's all set up. But it, It'd be fun for someone like you and me to have that conversation because even though I'm a sports fan, um, I'm not as close to it as like you and Brent. Because when you and Brent talk about this stuff, you do a great job, but you're kind of both. <laughs> we're, we're, we're way in the weeds. Well, and you're both on kind of the same level, right? Yeah. You know, I'd love to challenge you on some of the stuff that I hear you say (laughs) purely (laughs) for the hell of it. Right. Just to rally you up. But, you know, again, uh, to get back to where we were, Chris, you know, I um, if I had a vote on whether football goes and I don't, um, I would say that football should go. And and I don't just say that as a fan. Um, I think it's possible. Um, I agree, you know, that the guidelines are really going to have to be thought about if it's, well, one football player is positive and then the whole team can't play. Well, that's not, that's not doable. We may as well not try, but there's middle ground there where I think it can happen. And, you know, if, again, if I had a vote, I, I would vote that I, I really hope football happens. Okay. The big word right now is vaccine. Yep. Everybody's talking about a vaccine. I watch, um, I listen to the Jim Cramer every day when I'm driving home Yep. from work and there's always like, Oh, Got this new company, Pfizer's narrowing, Johnson and Johnson's narrowing in. Yep. Um, it is interesting, like the expediting of this that we've heard about. I mean, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about just the billions upon billions of government dollars that have been thrown out to farm, big pharma to yep. try and figure this out. Like how uh, we're hearing that things are good, but like what goes into that? Like, how do you expedite a vaccine? Does that, does that mean the more testing? Does that mean you're just hiring more people? Does that what? Cause everybody said, Oh, we need more money. Right. Like I hear that all the time with like the American cancer society and we, we we need more money. Is that, are you putting that money into technology? Are you putting that money into training people? Like how, how, what does that mean? Right. So I think, what are they calling it? Operation Warp Speed, I think, is the government 
yeah, name, something like that. Something I, like that. Yeah. Um, and it, excuse me, again, I'm not, this is not an area I'm involved in. So everything I, you know, that I'm aware of is kind of publicly out there, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I think, you know, there's a few steps that they're taken when they, when they try to expedite and, um, you, you hit on one of them and that's kind of the, the public private partnership where, you know, the government is not only funding it, but they're probably in real time, you know, communicating as opposed to maybe in a more traditional sense, a company might spend years of, of doing work and then reach out to the government and say, well, here's where I'm at. And the government says, well, you need to do this, this, and this. Not right now. They're kind of lockstep, you know, so there's no surprises. Um, I think, you know, there's some other things that they're trying to do. Obviously, they're they're prioritizing um, the review of that data. You know, so if you're coming to the government right now with a product for some other disease, you're probably being told, okay, your your uh, you know coronavirus stuff is going to the front of the line as far as that. Um, that helps. Um, the government is, I think they've said that they're starting to stockpile a vaccine before it is actually approved. So, you know, this is kind of hedging, right? Like I, I, maybe I've seen enough that I think this vaccine is going to be successful um, and hasn't maybe gained final approval yet, but I've seen enough to where I'm going to say, okay, while you're still completing your approval process, I want you to start producing a bunch of this and we're going to hold it in storage with yeah. the hope that if you do get approved, we're ready to go. And we eliminate that lag between approval and, and mm-hmm. large scale production. Um, and they're doing some other things, you know, they're, you're seeing people okay. combine, there's kind of three phases to vaccine. They're called phase one, phase two, phase three. That's kind of how you progress. And they're kind of increasing in size as far as number of participants that, you know, there's a lot of detail there, but um, you're seeing companies combine them and do like phase one and phase two all together and phase two and phase three, maybe together. Um, so I think there are ways that people are trying to expedite. Um, but I want to, I want to say something about this, you know, someone asked me, well, does the fact that we're trying to expedite this raise concern that we're going to end up with a product that sucks? My dad asked my wife this on vacation. Right. And I I think think his exact words were, would you take the vaccine? Right. If it gets released. And I'll preface this by saying, you know, if I was offered a vaccine tomorrow, I I would be first in line. But to answer that question, you know, I I don't think so. Um, You know, the the government is still, from what I see publicly, you know, they're still scrutinizing the safety and the efficacy. It's going through the full, um, the full evaluation. And, you know, safety is kind of first and foremost, right? I mean, if you have a vaccine that's 100% safe and maybe only 50% effective, I'm taking that vaccine because I don't have to worry about the safety. And if it helps me half the time or, you know, prevents me from getting infected half the time or when I do get infected, it reduces my severity to a lower level, that's a good starting point. I mean, that would... What you just described, though, wouldn't would that solve most of our problems? I mean, as far as it wouldn't like, solve it, but it'd be a good step in the right direction. And then as time goes by, be, that's because that's where I was actually going to go with you here, like influenza, right? O- right? Often compared to coronavirus, yes. Like what? How accurate are those 
yeah. flu shots every That's year. a great example. You bring this up. I mean, influenza is... But we the, don't stop going to work because of that. No, but influenza is the poster child for... Um, you know, the vaccine isn't that effective, so I'm not going to get it. And, you know, it's not really true, right? Again, going back to the headlines that people see or the news stories that run on national news, um, usually in the fall or the winter, that say, well, this year's vaccine is only a certain percentage match and it's only 50% effective or whatever. Um, that's still good. And it's still going to save lives for people who might be um, really susceptible. Um, it helps with herd immunity, right? Even if you're giving people some antibody protection uh, that's not perfect, that concept of herd immunity, which for anyone who doesn't know, herd immunity is... Which is getting tossed around a lot these days. Right. So herd immunity, I guess I should not just assume people know what that is, but um, herd immunity is like, okay, let's say I have 100 people... Um, in your house here and one person is infected with the virus and 90 out of the remaining 99 people are vaccinated and they're protected because of a vaccine. So now that one person has a much more difficult time of spreading the virus because a lot of the people that they come in contact with are protected so the virus can't just like spread like wildfire through everybody. Like it's doing right now. Like it's doing right now. And so getting back to your question of would that solve all our problems? Not necessarily, but boy, it would take us a long ways. As soon as we it, can start vaccinating people and not just relying on people getting infected and recovered. If that um, happened tomorrow, and let's say on Monday, you could start getting vaccinated, we'd have a college football season with fans in the stands. I think so. Just because people would have the confidence and like, you know, yeah. as, as long as it could be. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, would I take the vaccine? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm. Um, you know, vaccines. I do. And so. That's kind of your wheelhouse. Right. So getting back to my comments earlier about everyone's biased by their perspective. I'm biased by the fact that I know a lot about them. I, I have no fears of vaccines. And I know that. Almost any vaccine is better than no vaccine. And so I'd be first in line. I'll tell you, though, anybody who works kind of in this world of vaccines, whether you're on the industry side or the government side or wherever you are, um, you're fully aware that there's a trust issue in the general public about vaccines. That's no secret. The last thing that you want to do is roll out a vaccine for sars coronavirus 2 that crashes and burns either isn't safe or isn't effective because guess what happens when the second vaccine comes nobody you've lost everybody right mm -hmm. even even more people are like yeah well that first one sucked right so mm -hmm. why should i take this second one so so there's a lot of reason why even though you're trying to expedite it you're that doesn't mean you're taking unnecessary risks what about the guy I know a lot of guys like this who don't get the flu shot because it says that oh, I got the flu shot one time. It was 16 years ago, and I got the flu. Yeah. I'm never, I'm never getting it again. Yeah. They're wrong. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but you've heard that guy. Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. Certainly. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, you, you may have got the vaccine, and you may have um, 
felt a little under the weather for 24 hours, you know, I mean, your, so a lot of, a lot of your body's response to an infection. So when you're infected with a virus, like you were, yes, a lot of the damage occurs because of your own immune system. So your own immune system, you know, you get a fever and you get all this inflammation. That's your body trying to ramp up and attack the virus. Well, that can be so harsh that the immune response causes the actual damage to your body. You know, and some people have said, if you've heard cytokine storms, um, that's something that's been brought up for SARS. So for a vaccine like influenza, which is a killed, killed vaccine, in most cases, there's a live one out there, but in most cases, you're getting a killed vaccine. So there, there's no live virus, which means you're not getting the flu yeah. if it's not live. But your immune system is still reacting. You know, you're, you're still injecting something in your arm and it's a generating an immune response. And yeah, you might feel some general kind of malaise for a day or two. That's not, that's not the flu. So, okay, you mentioned me having had COVID. Yeah, good good job out of you, by the way. I think you called the last podcast <laughs> that if anyone gets it, it's going to be you. I mean, you're... It's pretty easy to pick, actually. No one's going to mistake your immune system for the 85 bears or anything. No. It's pretty uh pretty Man, I've had it all. You, know, um, you, need, you need just, you know, less caffeine and more sleep. Apparently. She's in less bullet bourbon, apparently. Um, can I get COVID again? That's a hot topic, isn't it? Because I can't decide. Like, I've read all this stuff. And so what I've come down to is I, I, I could, but it probably wouldn't be as bad. Is that, is that safe? Yeah, I don't. It's a good question, Chris. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know the definitive answer to that. I'm not sure anyone does yet. I always like to joke with people that I'm like the safest guy in the room. I can't have it again. Well, you're certainly safer than people who haven't been infected. Okay. Um, You know, there have been some studies, you know, I got to be careful. I don't know if there were studies or anecdotal stories that came out of China, especially um, about people being reinfected. Um, There's also obviously a lot of work going on to look to see are there different strains and are the strains different enough that the vaccine or the infection with one strain wouldn't protect you from the subsequent strain. You know, I, I think, Chris, it's a good question, and I, I think we're a little early, um, but I certainly think that that's a question, you know. Um, I think even if there were chances that you could be reinfected maybe by another strain, it certainly would not be as severe as what you've gone through. I well, think. I'll say this, uh, just kind of a side note for everybody. After ha- So I, was, I wasn't perfect. Um, I tried to wear a mask, like if I went to the grocery store, that type of thing. Um I went out to a brewery, like an outside brewery once before I got infected. I did not wear a mask because it was outside, socially distanced, did all that stuff. But I, I'm trying to think like for the most part, I wasn't going anywhere. Like if I went anywhere, it would be like Brick Street here in Bondurant to pick up a gallon of milk. And if I would always mask up, I, I think I got it through my eyes, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily know that for sure. I think but, it's hard, Chris. I mean, you know, the thing, the things with infections, um, you could have wore a mask 99 out of a hundred times yeah. and, and one time that you didn't, yeah. you know, you may have got exposed. Yeah. It, it's, well, it's certainly, you know, 
that's why you know earlier on I said magic's uh, masks aren't really necessarily a magic bullet, but they're better than not wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, well, I'll say this: like I wear, I don't really, according to all the science, I I really don't need one now. Like yeah. it's not as I'm not going to get it, but I. After having had it, I'm way more sensitive to the people who haven't. And, like, I just know so many people in my life who, you know, like my neighbors, I, th- I think about them all the time. Now, um, Ava has passed away since, but, like, what if what if she was alive now? You know, like an 11-year-old girl with going through chemotherapy and stuff like that right across the street. Like, if I was her dad, I would be pissed if people were around me not wearing a mask. Yeah. And after having gone through it, I was fine. Like I, I was I was never like, oh, I need to get on a ventilator. It was never anything like that. There was one night where I was really worried. There was yeah. one night, but I kicked out of it pretty well. But after having gone through it, like I, I was thinking, like, okay, if I was sixty, this would really suck, you know. And so now I'm way more cognizant of wearing a mask after I had it, it, which doesn't really make any sense because like to me, like I, whatever, but like, you've probably also got a little bit though that, you know, some people might recognize you walk in the store and they've heard you talk about being positive and there's kind of that. Dude, that is a very real thing. It's Sure. I mean, to this day, I'm six, seven weeks out and people will like, I'll see them and they'll take a right. They don't want to be anywhere near me. Yeah. Which I get. So like, it, whatever. it becomes like a scarlet letter type deal. It's not, so. it's not personal. It's just everybody's scared. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's what happens. I think just to maybe wrap up on some vaccine stuff, um, I, I do think we're getting closer to a vaccine. I mean, if you, there's some good trackers out there that you can look at to see how many, vac- and there's hundreds of vaccines that are being worked on. Last I looked, there was maybe a dozen that had made it to that final step, which is kind of phase three. Um, I saw one um, tested with like 35,000 people the other day. Yeah. Which that's that's a big number. Right. And that's kind of what you would expect for a phase three trial, right? So phase one might be, you know, a dozen. Phase two is maybe a couple hundred people. That phase three, when you're going to throw it into thousands of people, that's when you're looking like, okay, mm-hmm. is this thing safe? And, and, you know, you're, you're going to be f- tracking those people very closely and, and, um, you know, getting blood from them and all this stuff. But anyway, you know, there's like a dozen, I think that are at phase three, you know, and I, I think, I think it's reasonable to think we might have a vaccine this winter. You know, I, I think in March I had said probably after the first year, you know, I had said probably at least 12 months, which would have been a year from March. Um, you know, I'd feel comfortable still saying March. And if, if, if we beat that, um, that's great. You know, that's positive. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple out there. Moderna, I think is one that a lot of Mm -hmm. people can see. They didn't, they're the guys who had the, um, Ebola. Did they? RNA vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Jim Cramer special. That's the only reason I knew that. One thing may have, I w- may have invested in them early on. One thing I will say, um, a lot of the headlines you see right now about these vaccines are about, well, they induced antibody, right? It's like the headline is experimental vaccine induces antibody in, you know, 99% of the people. And um, that's good. You know, it'd be bad if they didn't induce antibody. 
But, you know, part of the challenge of creating a vaccine and why it's not just like, you know, manufacturing widgets or, or cars or whatever, um, there's a lot of questions and challenges and just producing antibody isn't good enough. Um, so if I, maybe if I were to use an analogy, like, um, let's say we have a car on the road and we want to stop that car from moving. Okay. And, and the car is kind of like the virus. Well, if I take like, you know, steel bars or cinder blocks or whatever analogy you want to use for an antibody, you know, if I stick those to the roof of the car or the trunk of the car, the car can still move, right? Mm -hmm. Those antibodies aren't stopping that car from moving. So what we really need is neutralizing antibodies. And so going back to the analogy, if I can stick those, you know, to the tire or to the engine, those are places where maybe I can actually stop the car from moving. And so I guess my point is, you know, people just having antibodies isn't good enough. You know, we need antibodies that are actually shown to, mm-hmm. to neutralize and, and protect. Last, but um, certainly not least, and then we'll, we'll let you guys go here. Um, driving back from the Ozarks, don't, don't roll your eyes here. Just hear me out. Oh, boy. Because we're talking about all these vaccines. Here we go. And I listen to, there's a, there's a podcast I like. It's called Conspiracy Theories. And what I like about it, though, is they, they'll go in, like, it's like two and a half hours worth of, like, usually the first episode is, like, research. Um, and they're they're giving like a background on the topic, so you you have all the facts. And then the second episode is where they start to take liberties, and they like will um, analyze it. Okay. And um, and then at the end they'll be like, "Hey, we think there's something to this," or they'll be like, "This is stupid." Basically, they'll give you like a scale of one to ten. Okay. In the one that um, I I listened to on the way back from the Ozarks, everybody else was asleep was about the FDA and a cure for cancer. Let me ask you this, um, because it's a little bit like the journalism conversation we were having. So everybody's like, oh, I just want the news. Well, no, first of all, no, you don't, because we did that for years and you didn't click on it. You guys want Sean Hannity and you want Don Lemon. That's what you guys want. You can say you want the other thing. You don't. You like the car crash more than you like, you know, grandma getting flowers and we're putting that on the front page. So don't be a hypocrite. That's what you like. Sorry. There's a reason why Cyclone Fanatic has record when, when there's coaching searches and people getting fired. Right? People like train wrecks, is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> um the the conspiracy theory is about the for profit thing and how profitable Big Pharma is. Would if there was a cure for cancer, like if you think about Big Pharma and the amount of billions of dollars that would disappear if, let's say, Moderna <laughs> found it. So I, I understand, like, I, first of all, I want to clarify, there's whole, all sorts of different types of cancers. You can't just pop a vitamin and be like, hey, all right, my breast cancer's gone, my testicular cancer's gone, like, it's all different. I understand that. But would, like, the financial aspect of that, like, this was the, this was the two-part podcast about the FDA and um, like for-profit. I'm a very anti like for-profit um, like health insurance type guy. Like I've, cause I've been burned by it. I work for small companies like health insurance is a, every 
November, it's like a big stress point for me because I don't, I don't know where I'm going to get my insurance from next year. Okay. So like I'm, I'm again, we all have biases here. I'm trying to look for them like, Oh, they're screwing me. Right. Like, so, but then like the other part of me, and I know I'm rambling here, but if you're, I keep saying Moderna, wouldn't you want to like be the company that finds a cure for cancer? And you'd be like, I'm going to take my Nobel peace prize. And like the billions upon maybe trillions of dollars that I'm going to get because I found a cure for cancer. Um, and to, to hell with Pfizer. Right. I, I, so, yeah, I, I mean, just kind of opened up a whole new podcast. Didn't yeah, I? well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you see, you, where I rambled, but you know where I'm at. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, frankly, you answered your own question. Uh, okay, you, you answered it just. How, okay, that's how, how I thought through it in my head. You, you answered okay. it just how I would. Okay, you know the, and this starts to get it back into this conspiracy topic that we keep kind of dancing around a little bit, but you know, there was I remember. Five or five or more years ago, there was this guy who I can't remember his name. God, I wish I could. If I'd have been more prepared with that, he uh, he used to run like these infomercials on TV that were kind of staged as if they were interviews, right? Like he was being interviewed, and he was pitching some book, and I think the book was "Cures They Don't Want You to Know About." And I believe this guy got arrested for fraud eventually, which rightfully so. But the whole premise was kind of what you just said, right? That that there are all these cures and for all these diseases, name name your disease, and they're suppressed from for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe it's um, population control, maybe it's uh, profitability in another area, which that would ruin all this other stuff. And, and my answer is what you just said. Okay. You know, <laughs> if you and I start a company tomorrow and we have a cure for name your disease, you know, it's getting out there, right? I mean. So, but the theory was um, that the FDA would come in and basically cover it up because they didn't want. Why would the FDA do that? Because they're in cahoots with all of these different billion-dollar cahoots drug, drug companies. This was the. I, I, I'm t- no, I'm just telling you so, what the conspiracy theory is that right. the, that these um, I, these I top it. dogs in the FDA are basically placed there by the billion-dollar drug company by Big Pharma. I gotta pour some more bourbon. This is ridiculous. Did you break the cork? Yeah. Give me the Here. other. Give me the take. Uh, take some of the bullet, Matt's. Matt was sipping on, um, we like to tell you what we're sipping on, Iowa Distilling Company Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Did you like it? I did. That was great. Uh, you can get that down in coming, but it's very hard to find. I am very excited. So I'm a big Bullet Bourbon fan, and I was at the Ankeny, um, it was the Prairie Trail Hy-Vee, and they had single barrels that they selected uh, of the Bullet Bourbon, and I've never seen a single barrel for a bullet before. So I was really excited. I hopped on that. That's great stuff. It's really good. It's yeah. really smooth. Really good stuff. Um, I'm just, how, I'm not saying how, this is my opinion. I'm telling you no, I know. what's how, out there. How are we doing on time here? Cause we're at an hour and 15 minutes. So we're, we're getting kind of long. Um, it's okay. We should you, do another one on, on conspiracy theories because yeah, we totally should. I, I, the, you know, <laughs> the, the point is that, that there have been some shady characters at the top of the FDA over the years, but I would say any like big program that's been around forever, like there's been shady, like, 
every, name a government yeah. program that hasn't had a couple characters. So every profession has bad actors. Yeah, and, we have Marty Terrell. And you know, okay, like I'm not you, Marty Terrell, right? Just um, because I used I sit in the chair he used to sit in, right? Literally, right? And you know, science is no different. Um, there are bad scientists out there. I want to talk to you about that, concussions and um, uh, that whole deal sometime. Sure. So there are bad scientists out there, just like any other field. Um, Global there, warming. There are scientists that get um, not just accused, but, you know, it gets confirmed that they committed fraud. You know, they, maybe they made up data, you know, and uh, papers get retracted and so forth. So there are problems out there. I think, you know, one of the nice things about the science community, um, you know, science is a big word and, and within science, there's all these disciplines and then within disciplines, there's subject matter experts and mm-hmm. you can keep boiling it down to kind of smaller and smaller groups of people that are experts on any given topic. And, you know, if you're out there saying stuff that's asinine and, and, and doing stuff that no one else in the world seems to be able to repeat the science community is going to call you out and, and you're going to get, you know, pointed out that, that what you're saying or what you're doing is garbage. And, you know, the conspiracy theories that, um, that any individual institution, you know, has a cure and somehow that cure gets stifled somewhere. I have the same answer that I have to almost any conspiracy theory. Do you realize the number of people <laughs> who would have to, not say anything about such a situation like that. It's just, you know, on one hand, people blame our government of being incompetent in everything they do. And then the same people think that the government is so finely tuned <laughs> that they can pull off anything. <laughs> I, you can't have it both ways, right? I get, yeah, I get it. Um, you know, and certainly conspiracy theories are rife when it comes to coronavirus and vaccines and we should do a whole other podcast just on i have really strong opinions about um anti-vaccine stances probably one of the more polarizing things that i could talk about yeah uh, we should do that sometime i would love to do that um i would love to you know i i you, think can i give you this pod to listen to yeah yeah send it to me i mean i think you you would listen to it and you would actually be impressed the way it, it's not a bunch of couple of Okay. spooks who are like trying to scare you. It's like not it, going to be like that unacknowledged thing you sent me and told me to listen to, is it? Well, <laughs> when we were talking about that, like I was thinking about the guy in unacknowledged um, who allegedly had created the automobile that could run on water oh, and the government basically just showed up and, you know, made him disappear. Who's the guy that supposedly leaked everything from area 51? Um, Bob or what the heck was that guy's name? Oh yeah, he was on like with Rogan and um, Bob. Um, uh, I know who you're talking about. I tried. There's something on Netflix about him that I tried to watch, and man, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Oh, see, and I watch it, and I'm like locked in. I'm so, like, oh yeah. So let me ask because there, there's that journalist in 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 Vegas who's like telling his story and everything. Yes, that's yeah. probably what I saw. Yeah. So do you do you think you're a conspiracy theorist? I think I entertain them. I don't close my mind really to much. Um, I like to think that I am a skeptical conspiracy theorist. Are you okay if we go a little bit over? Sure. So Does that make sense? What a, spe- a skeptical conspiracy theorist might be? No. What that means is I will entertain because I like to open my mind 
And I like to I like to think very deeply, as you well know. Which is good. Yes. And I, I, would, I would never, I'm the same way. I like to do deep dives. I like to be open to. But I also will, um, I like to think that I'm not at this for my entertainment. And I will, I will call like, for instance, like the Denver airport thing that I like to joke about yeah. gun to my head. I don't think the new world order is below there, but I also do think that there's a lot of things about that. Like why did the feds fund this thing that they didn't, Denver didn't need a new airport. Why did they build it in the middle of nowhere? Why are there tunnels underneath it? There's a lot of stuff that we should talk about. We could, we could, Create right? a whole podcast series. Um, the scientists versus the my my big two are it's the paranormal and um, extraterrestrials. Those are my big things that I'm very interested in. And uh, you you heard my podcast with Pastor Hibben. By the way, that was a great podcast. Thank you. And you know, shout Thank out him. Shout he out was, to Pastor Hibben. Yeah, he was awesome. You know, I thought. Um, and you and I had talked a little bit before that, but. Um, he did a really good job, I think, of answering questions and, and being, you know, candid and stuff. That was fun. Well, because my, my thing on that I like to challenge people on is like, okay, so how are you a Christian? Like, I mean, do you really think that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you think that Moses parted to sea? Do you think that there was an ark? You, you, you think all that, but you don't think that, like, an alien may exist or there might be a flying saucer or there's paranormal? That's hypocritical. Can we right? Just, can we just keep a running list? <laughs> we have like a season of topics. But so, you see what I'm saying though? Like, so to me, like, here's the deal, Matt. Like, how many people in the world from, let's say, the 1900 on, okay, have claimed to have had a paranormal experience? I have no idea what that number is. They're not all crazy it's not all. Why, why are they not all crazy? Why, why, how are you going to say that? <laughs> because they're not. Like, you, I, you know them? No, I don't know them. But, okay. Um, do you think that there's that many people who are just looking to make crap up? Yeah. Man. No. What, I no, mean, so the, let me, let the me, arrogance. Let me, yeah. We, we covered this in the last podcast, right? I'm arrogant <laughs> for calling BS. But... Listen, no, same, it's not just the same me. Bill Gates wants to put chips in everybody and he invented the coronavirus. That's like, crazy, right? that's crazy. Like, so you for no, but like, I literally have like a friend, a friend of mine, her and her mom moved out of their freaking house because of paranormal stuff. Why would they, why would they go through the trouble? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were taking shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Listen here, the, let, let's end with this. I came across, so about a month ago, I was reading stuff on Facebook about conspiracy theories, and I'm like, what the hell? And I started doing a deep dive. And the field of psychology related to conspiracy theories is fascinating. It, it does a really good job of trying to look at, in you know, controlled studies, why do people believe things? What's the profile of someone who does believe conspiracy theories? And... I found this that I just pulled up. This is a quiz that I think you should take. Okay. It's 15 questions. I think we can bust through this really fast. So I'm going to read the statement and you on a scale of one to five, which is one disagree, three neutral, five agree. Okay. okay. So one to five, any number, and then we'll score and see what you get. All right. Number one, 
the government is involved in the murder of innocent citizens citizens and or well-known public figures and keeps this a secret. Two. The power he- held by the heads of state is second to that of small unknown groups who really control world politics. Three. Secret organizations communicate with extraterrestrials, but keep this fact from the public. Well, I think that they know that they exist, but I don't think they communicate with them. Okay. So. Three. The spread of certain viruses and or diseases is the result of deliberate concealed efforts of some organization. Two. Groups of scientists, this is where you are, groups of scientists manipulate, fabricate, or suppress evidence to deceive the public. This is what you just asked me about with FDA. Well, I... Suppress evidence to deceive. No, I I don't think the scientists, but I think the money talks, and I follow the money, so three. Two or three, two and a half. The government permits or perpetuates acts of terrorism on its own soil Disguising its involvement. Uh, One. A small secret group of people is responsible for making all major decisions such as going to war. I mean, it's not including Congress. Yeah. Okay. One. I don't think the New World Order is doing that. Evidence of aliens is being concealed from the public. Five. Oh, man. Can I say 10? Uh, yeah, we could round up I to mean, 10 if you... I think it's 10. Technology with mind-controlled capacities is used on people without their knowledge. Two. New and advanced technology, which would harm current industry, is being suppressed. Five. The government uses people as a fall guy to hide its involvement in criminal activity. Certain significant events have been the result of the activity of a small group who manipulate world events. Two. That's the NWO we're talking about. Some UFO sightings and rumors are planned or staged in order to distract the public from real alien contact. Uh, Four. Experiments involving new drugs or technologies are routinely carried out on the public without their knowledge or consent. One. Last one. A lot of important information is deliberately concealed from the public out of self-interest. Four. All right. Your score. (laughs) You're crazy, by the way. Your overall score for conspiracy beliefs is 2.7 out of 5. So I'm right. I'm a moderate. The average score of all people taking this is 2.2. So you're slightly above average. That, that, that would seem to be about right for me. Your highest category is two of them, actually. Extraterrestrial cover-up. This facet yeah. reflects a belief that information about aliens is being concealed from the public. Your score was 4 out of 5. <laughs> Control of information. This facet reflects a belief that science is manipulated. Your score was four out of five. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. <laughs> That's fun. 
<laughs> anyone out there, that's called the the conspiracy beliefs scale, and apparently it's some scale that's used in a lot of um, actual studies of okay. academics. Who We're going to bring you stuff. back because I, the first episode you were on was very popular. People enjoyed it. That's I think fun. I think people will like this. The next one we need to do like a conspiracy theory podcast. I think we should. I think we totally should. I think we could um, have our power rankings of yeah the ones you believe in and the ones I think. Well, are- I mean that you could kind of see from me there. Like I don't. I'm ironically I'm watching House of Cards. I'm almost done with it right now, and a lot of the like the what you just read to me is like what Frank Underwood's like doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like killing people and covering it up. So like a lot of that stuff, I'm like, Oh, that's BS. Like that's not happening. But like, I totally, I, I absolutely believe that there are multiple places on our, on American soil where we have recovered alien spacecraft and we have scientists working on it. And I, I, there's zero doubt in my mind. And that fascinates me because I just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's watch unacknowledged, man. Like, yeah, I tried. Dr. Greer. I tried. He's a doctor. He's your colleague. There you go. Just like the doctor who did the pandemic thing, right? That went, that went viral. Um, just because someone has doctor in front of their name doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. You know, me included, I guess. Well, I think, I think I agree. We should, we should break down, um, some conspiracy theories and talk about them and, and aliens, a certain one we could talk about, um, you know, there's the conspiracy theories going on right now about coronavirus are a hot button issue for me just because, you know, it's disease and stuff The the one, if you've seen the one about 5g, that 5g, you know, the the cellular, that 5g caused coronavirus. Oh no, I haven't seen that one. This is a great example of how people take, um, correlation and turn it into causation right so someone someone took a map of the u.s and like plotted all the locations like a heat map of like where all the cases of corona are yeah and they laid it on top of a map showing 5g well isn't that just population yeah like yeah yeah i mean just yeah yeah. like of course 5g is going to be in la first look at you mr anti-conspiracy theorist that's that's bogus right but why would 5g be like i'm gonna go to rural iowa to launch right like that's just stupid. Right. But I'm, but yeah. I'm telling you, go Google five G and coronavirus. It, it's, it's one that's out there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh Lord! All right, Matt. I I love you, man. I appreciate your time. Hour and a half. People can chew on that this weekend. I think that they'll like it. I no, it's good to hear a. It really is good to hear a doctor talking like layman's terms to people. It's fun, you know, and I, these are fun topics. You and I have a lot in common, but a lot of times we also have completely different perspective on things, and I think that makes life interesting. Uh, check out com, guys. Uh, it's a tough world out there for a lot of people right now. Uh, there's a careers tab. I'm looking at it right now. It says we are teammates, not employees. Um, and I, I, I said this um, last Sunday with Bloom. If I ever get out of this world first, I'm not kidding. I'm going to try and work for Mechdyne. Sounds great. It's they, a phenomenal company. I, like I said, when I was on their website, they, uh, they're doing a lot of cool stuff. Check them out today. Uh, he is uh, Dr. Matt Urban. I am not a doctor, but my name is Chris Williams. Thank you. We're going to try and um, start to do these more regularly now because I have daycare. Girls started daycare for the first time this week uh, since March, which is insane. 
uh, to think that we've gone that long. It is. We've been stuck at home since spring break, right? Yeah. Um, but now, now that we have daycare, I'm going to probably be able to do these more uh, regularly, which I appreciate. It, it's fun to like dive into something that's not sports and not college athletics. So, uh, anyways, thank you for your time. Appreciate everything, Matt. And we'll talk to you guys next time.